Brain Buster Boys are brought to you by Visionaries Global Media, your number one source for podcasting entertainment. Visionaries Global Media, envisioning excellence on a global scale. Got to think, though, at some point, Mox will get healthy, move on from paternity leave, and then come back and hopefully extract revenge on Dan. Hit watch, hit watch. Oh, Moxley hit Dan Callis. Buster Boys, episode 24. My name is Brett Jagger, along with Beaumont Rand. What's up, y'all? Coming straight from the Black Lodge. Suck! Yeah, yeah, short from the Bork Lodge. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, no. Well, uh, before we get to our, yeah, our featured uh, guest today, uh, <laughs> what was that last week? <laughs> I like I, I it's both like it's absurd and terrifying. It's it's funny and like yeah. rattling. You know, I feel both shook, but I want to laugh at myself a about it. A lot of emotions. Um, yeah, yeah, but it's like two sort of like you know, like whenever people like laugh and cry, mm. but not like happy, you know, it's just it's uh yeah, I mean, you know, it is what it is. Uh it's like the one weird thing that happened to us that like I struggle to process, and I'm just kind of at the point where I'm just like, I'm not going to process yeah. it. It's like, how know? did Lynch just poof show up in my kitchen? Like, at the end of all of it, like, you know, I get it. We were somehow well, sucked into some... Well, and that anus opened up in the yeah, sky. I know, that's... You know? What, yeah. Well, again, we've seen Twin Peaks, and that's kind of what played out, but, yeah. like, a, how did he get in the kitchen? Like, that's the, <laughs> that's the biggest mystery of all of this. Uh, I mean, uh, I don't know. I, either he's a expert uh, lock picker... Or he apparated, or, uh... Do you think he's, uh, like, got some control over our fucking telephones or something? I mean, well, clearly that had something to do with it. Um, Yeah. I mean, since he's gone, I think, you know, him being... Since he's been gone! (laughs) Jesus. But, yeah, I think, like, we can still continue to harp on that. The fucking telephone. Yeah, Um, that's great. And you know what we didn't do on our fucking telephone? Is interview Alex Marvez. Correct, Mundo. <laughs> yeah. So uh, enough of the Lynchian bullshit. Uh, that was that's the past. Review. The present is here, and yes, we are so excited to do our first interview. Finally, this has been in the making. I looked it up. I emailed Marvez back in November of 2020, so shortly after we started this, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it, this is uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Oh yeah, this has been a long time coming. You know, he's sort of been a big. Sort of signified this, you know, sort of thing, this meme yes. that we've kind of that we've kind of made, you know, um, that it's kind of been there since the beginning of the show. Think that's, um, and I'm oh, excited sorry. to meet the person behind it. You yeah, know, he, he's great at what he does. Yeah, excellent at what he does on the show. Absolutely, very interested. I was um, gonna say it's become such a thing for us because, like, we'd known this was at least in the works at some point. So Marvez has always been a huge thing for us when we watch Dynamite. We always are glued to his segments. He had the 
The nicknames, the glasses. He's he was looming Marvez. Yes. After receding Marvez, and now he's full Marvez. You know, bright in the middle of the sky. He's real Marvez. He's real Marvez. He exists. Uh, but yeah, we're again couldn't be more excited to be doing this and talking to Alex, and uh, we're looking forward to it, and uh, we hope you are too. Yeah. Um. You know what I'm really looking forward to? What's that? Seeing if he wears glasses or not. That's <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe he'll have them and then take them off and put them back on, like during some dynamite yeah i mean like that's pretty much uh the number one thing that's on my mind I, 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 I if i have to wait until the end of the interview to ask him that yeah i'm going to explode oh show up that pota well hopefully uh there are no explosions here yeah, yeah. maybe it's like revolution <laughs> so with that um yeah shall we hop to it let's do it Welcome to the Brain Buster Boys inaugural interview. We have been looking forward to this one for quite a while. Um, I actually looked back and I had emailed you back in November initially, and we are finally here with AEW's own backstage reporter extraordinaire, Alex Marvez. Alex, welcome to the Brain Buster Boys. Hey Brett, thank you so much. Bo, thank you so much. And of course, mm-hmm. I, I delayed you because I had a book coming out with Chris Jericho. And yes, you may as well tie it in in June when it was coming out. Indeed, we are finally here with that. I know we're going to talk about that, talk some AEW, maybe talk some NFL, and who knows with you guys. So I yes. know you're all over the map, but I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And we will get to the book. But first, I kind of wanted to start by saying how we met and kind of how all this started and tie-in wrestling and the NFL. So when I worked for the Bengals PR department in 2013 and 14, you were around a few times. I know you covered the Bengals in the mid-90s. So we met through my boss at the time and our good mutual friend, Jack Brennan, who had told me that you were a wrestling fan. I'm like, oh, wow, I can't wait to talk to this guy. So we had our conversations. And then since then, I saw you on the first New Japan show in America in Long Beach in the crowd. I'm like, oh, wow, it's Marvez. And then additionally, I watch a lot of wrestling documentaries. So I think it was like the true story of WrestleMania. And your tome popped up from 1991 about um, WrestleMania 7 changing locations in uh, L.A. I'm like, wow, he's all over the place. So kind of wanted to hear just about how you really got into wrestling and then how wrestling was a part of your career journalistically and then the path to getting to AEW and really what your emotions were like when you got that job. Absolutely. Well, a couple things about this. You know, I was a wrestling fan ever since I was five, six years old. Growing up in the state of Florida, I was treated uh, to what to me was the very best wrestling championship wrestling from Florida. And it's really shaped my vision, my views, my announcing style, getting to hear the great Gordon Soley every Saturday at noon Eastern time. In fact, if my, my parents knew if they didn't want me to absolutely melt down into a pool of butter, uh, they would have me in front of a TV somehow somewhere watching wrestling because we didn't have VHSs back then. We didn't have uh-huh. DVRs. We didn't even have beta. I mean, we just had, you know, basically you watched the show or you missed it. And yep. if you missed it, 
that wasn't good for, you know, seven, eight, nine-year-old Alex. I will tell you that. You know, when I started interning at the Miami Herald, I shouldn't even say interning. I started working at the Miami Herald as a part-time high school stringer while I was in high school. And they had run a, a survey among readers. This was in about 1989 that said, what would you like to see more of in the Miami Herald? And people responded, pro wrestling. Well, wow. they knew I was a big wrestling fan at the Miami Herald. You know, I would go to all the shows. I would talk about it all the time. And I also was a staunch reader of the Wrestling Observer. I got turned on mm -hmm. to it on my first episode or uh, issue. I should say March 2nd, 1987. So I had some inside knowledge and a little bit of knowledge can Bef be a very Before dangerous we thing. were even born yet. Yeah, wow. I know. Scary, <laughs> scary world, brother. Scary world. And so I went on and, and, you know, I began to write the column. It was every two weeks initially. And then it had a lot of kayfabe in it, to be quite honest with you. It had wrestlers' nice. real names, had television taping results, had behind-the-scenes business. You know, and it was something that at the time was, was pretty unique. There were a couple other wrestling columnists, but, you know, it helped me, you know, carve a niche. And uh, yep. along the way, there was this guy named Tony Khan, who as a young mm. kid would read some of my stuff growing up. A little wow. bit I know wow. that our paths would interwind uh, years later when the family amazing. bought the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yep. And, yeah. uh, you know, and also startup of All Elite Wrestling. And you mentioned that New Japan show in 2017. The guy I was sitting next to at the show was the one who invited me out to L.A. Just said, look, get yourself out here. I'll pay for tickets. Let's go. And that was Tony Khan, who had wow. rekindled my love of wrestling. Fred, to be honest with you, after 2012, I'd written about it for, for that long a period of time. I'm not a WWE fan. I don't watch their product. I'm not a fan of the McMahon family or Vince McMahon. Personally, I don't want to get into that. That's all yeah. you know, water under the bridge. But all my good. point is, I, I was the lapsed fan. Yep. And Tony Khan was the one who brought me back in, said, hey, you want to watch New Japan Pro Wrestling? You know, you'll probably be into this. And, and he was right. And I started yep. getting interested again. One thing led to another. He asked if I would like to be part of his company. I agreed. Started off doing play-by-play. -play. Honestly, my best role, probably doing what I'm doing now. Doing backstage interviews, helping with the production of the show, just doing whatever little thing I can to try to help out with, with our company, which, you know, just continues to grow by leaps and bounds, thanks to Tony's vision. That's amazing. So you were with Tony at that show at Long Beach. Yeah, and I introduced to a guy named Jim Ross, who I've known since I was in high school. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, it sort of laid the groundwork maybe for what he would ultimately do as an announcer. But, you know, at the same time, doing my NFL thing as well. I started covering the Bengals. That was my first team in 1995. Yep. I mean, journalism is the only thing professionally I've ever known. And I, I was so blessed to cover the Bengals for two years. I mean, th there weren't a lot of, you know, there were, there were wins. I mean, this was a 500 <laughs> team really both years. But I think it was just more just the people who I'm still friends with to this day, living yep. in a different part of the country. Growing up in Miami and, and moving to Middletown, Ohio, absolutely blew my mind. Oh, I bet. This was, was totally different, you know, than, than ultimately living in Ketter, Kettering, Centerville, that area was great as well. And so it really shaped, the, you know, a lot of the things that as an adult that I always remember fondly. Also then went on to cover the Broncos, the Dolphins, went to Fox Sports, a, a couple years of sporting news I'd like to forget. But along the way too, going full time <laughs> over to Sirius XM NFL Radio, where I work now on a full-time basis, as well as at AEW. Love it, love it. Well, first off, amazing people with the Bengals and that whole Cincinnati media contingent. I know we know a lot of the same people. And I had a very similar, I guess, reaction response to New Japan and WWE myself. Like, I discovered New Japan with initially AJ Styles and Nakamura, but it wasn't until the next year with Kenny Okada won that I'm like, oh my gosh, there is yeah. so much better stuff out there. And then I think it was by SummerSlam of 18, I walked away from WWE and 
never went back until Bo and I were forced because uh, we were fired by the folks at Turner and we're now back in the fold. And uh, but yeah, that's amazing. So you mentioned kind of your play by play. So you called the initial double or nothing event. How was that experience? I, it's unforgettable in a lot of ways. And to be honest with you, I, I did the best I could to prepare, but until you actually do something, it's completely different, you know, yeah. and, and you know, the energy of it was amazing. I'm proud of the job that I did, you know, uh, I mean, and it's interesting too, because, you know, it's an unfamiliar voice to wrestling fans. So a yeah. lot of them are, you know, you're going to get a lot of negative feedback, but I tried not to dwell on it too much. You can't, you can't live off that type of negativity. It doesn't fuel me to do any better. Yep. You know, and, and so, but when we had a chance to bring in Tony Schiavone, I mean, how do you say no oh, to Tony Schiavone? Yeah, I mean, yeah. come on. I mean, and Tony's, a, a, you know, as good as he is on air, he's an even better person behind the scenes. He cares yeah. about the product. He does a lot of things, helps in so many different ways. And, and you know, is another voice of a generation, much like with Jim Ross. And I'm so glad that this generation gets to experience the, the positive vibes of Tony Schiavone. But I, I mean, look, I, I'm blessed to have called one of the greatest matches, I think, in pro wrestling history, you know, between, uh, you know, Dustin Rhodes and Cody Rhodes, brother oh, yeah. versus brother. That was amazing. The first Kenny Chris Jericho match in the States. That was awesome with John Moxley's debut. It's something that I, I mean, I, I it's, it's just, it's a dream come true. It's like a bucket list thing. I got to call one of the most important pro wrestling shows yeah. in history. I'm and, getting goosebumps right now. And I'll be it's honest, amazing. Alex, like, and actually Bo was with us watching that show. That and was he didn't the one really, in May, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah and he didn't yeah. know anything about AEW yeah. or anything, but I'll tell you, it was really cool just hearing you on that. Cause it's like, I know this guy and like, yeah. I could tell the passion in your voice too. And yeah, it was amazing an amazing night. Um, so we had, we'll get to our first fan question here. Sure. So at, before we kind of transition into your backstage role and kind of what you're doing now, uh, this is from dynamite download. Who's another great AEW podcast at AEW dynamite DL. They asked who were a couple talents you've seen grow the most during your tenure with AEW. My gosh, you know, it's interesting that that question is asked and it's a fantastic question because we've just seen people develop. As time has gone on, especially, you know, when we look at, at some of the, the talent that wasn't necessarily a household name before. And, and, you know, wrestling, by the way, too, on the independent circuit or wrestling on television, two completely different things. But I think the guy who, who might pop out the most and he's going to be headlining our, our June 26th, uh, you know, episode of Dynamite against Kenny Omega is Jungle Boy. And, and, you know, Jungle Boy, you know, so interesting because he wants to wrestle every show. It's not like he says, oh, I don't want to work dark or I don't want to work elevation. He wants to wrestle every show because he realizes that every time he's out there, he has the chance to get better. He actually has the most matches of anyone that's in AEW. Yeah. So, wow. you know, pushing up, getting close to 80 now. And, and, you know, he's very proud of that fact as well. So I think that's the thing. And, and it's a challenge for our young talent. I just want to say this. And even veteran talent, to an extent, we don't wrestle on a regular basis, obviously the pandemic prevented that, but also our company vision was never to have a full slate of shows of over the weekend and then leading into a TV taping. Well, it's not only harder to, to grow in the ring because of that, but also from an injury standpoint, it's tougher. I mean, you ask most wrestlers and they say, I want to wrestle daily almost because your body starts to get used to it. And some of the injuries yep. that we have may just stem from wrestlers who quite simply aren't used to their body gets out of shock. I remember uh, talking to, to Brian Pillman, you know, the late Brian Pillman about, mm -hmm. uh, you know, his first you know week or so in wrestling. Basically, they had him fall nonstop. Yep. 
about 500 falls a day, just fall backwards, boom, fall backwards, boom, fall backwards to get his body used to the shock yep. of wrestling. And, and it's just been one of the challenges that we've had. But now that we've added, you know, we're going to start doing a, a couple Friday night shows in the future, yep. uh, you know, live shows because of, of Rampage coming up on TNT starting on August 13th, which I'm really excited about. And I so think we're going to continue to add, yeah, I think we're gonna continue <laughs> to, add to it. And it's just going to be great to be back on the road. But I, I think that's when we just talk about young talent that, you talk about rising. I've got to think Jungle Boy right at the top of that list from where he started to where we are now. And not only in the ring, but character development as well. And he's only 23 years old, I think. Old. And, you know, we've been kind of having some fun with his theme song on recent episodes. And this past week, we were really geeking out about Jr. constantly saying how hot he is. Like, he's scalding. <laughs> he's hot. And we've been having some fun with that. But it's true. I mean, you know, he's a workhorse. He goes out there. He's, you know, him when he was in the ring with Kenny, it was awesome. Um, another guy that but has been kind of Bo's favorite wrestler that I think has really taken AEW by storm quicker than anyone coming from the outside. And that's Darby Allen. Yeah. And Darby, again, someone else who cares about his craft. And Darby's one of the most creative people that you'll know. You know, he just submits those videos, a lot of them. And, yeah. and you know, without, with, and honestly, Tony Khan just says, hey, you know, Darby, send the video. And we'll see, you know, and, and every week we use it. And it's Darby's vision. You know, that's part of his background is in film. And so he's able to, to you know, he knows what he wants to be. I think that's interesting. And, and let's take for Orange Cassidy, for example, right? And his evolution. Orange, in his mind, has a very clear vision of who Orange Cassidy is. Yep. And I think in some ways it's nine-tenths of the battle. Who are you? What is your character? You know, what is your persona that you want to give off? And, and that's where someone like Darby Allen, someone like Orange Cassidy has been able to come together. And listen, while we're talking Darby, let's give some props to Sting. Absolutely. I, I mean, and, and this pairing has been fantastic. Because I know there was some cynicism when Sting first came in. Uh, you yep. know, he's, a, he's an older performer. Questions about, is he going to be able to wrestle? What is he really going to provide? And how do you keep his character fresh on a weekly basis, knowing that he's only got a certain number of in-ring matches probably left? Well, they did an incredible job pairing him with Darby. And I think it took Darby, who was already a rising character, but really elevated him now to where he can headline one of our shows and show a significant rating upgrade. Yep. Yeah. I mean, all the, and we were so impressed with Sting. And yeah, we talked when he first came. It's like, is he going to wrestle? Maybe they should just keep it cinematic. But and yeah, after, he was amazing in that match at, at Double or Nothing. Yeah. And then after the street fight, we were like, well, is he actually going to, you know, like step into the ring and in a real match? And each time it's been yes. When he you took know. that that big powerbomb bump from Brian Cage, too, oh. I think leading, leading into the street yeah. fight, we're like, I guess he's red. And, you know, you get yeah. a little scared because of what happened with him and Seth Rollins back at 2015. And he is 62. So it's like you just never know. But again, like I think one big thing with AEW overall that I, I love and I think we love is just the passion overall. And you can see that from Sting, the human being and Tony Schiavone, the human being when they're out there. And like you said earlier about having Tony and JR, the two voices of the Attitude Era when we were growing up, the creative freedom that everyone seems to have there, it's just such a wonderful thing. And I mean, it's the best thing in wrestling going right now. Well, and Excalibur, of course, providing the oh, meat and potatoes on the commentary outstanding. as well. Yeah, yeah outstanding. I mean, yeah, you see, it, you know, 2020 Wrestling Observer Announcer of the Year, as we remind Taz every time we're in the announcing room. And, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and but that's the thing about it. And I think that one of the strengths of Tony Khan is allowing people to be people. 
You know, mm-hmm. look, at the end of the day, it is a business, okay? It, it's called show business. You know, it's not friends business, as they would say, right? Yeah. But he's been mm-hmm. able to manage a lot of divergent personalities, you know, diffuse things if there's an issue. You know, basically, we I don't want to say it's even Steven booking, but if you lose a match, maybe you win the next one. Mm-hmm. Maybe you get to yourself in a program so that you're not, you know, it isn't like, okay, you lost and now we're going to forget about you for four to six months. That That isn't the case. And he's always receptive to ideas. People approach him, you know, the talent all the time about here's what I'd like to do. Not every uh, idea is going to be granted, you know, every wish fulfilled, but he's at least willing to listen about that. And you have people who really love the company. And I think especially, too, among people who were elsewhere who saw, Mm -hmm. well, this is what happens when, you know, you're in a company that may just consider you a number, like a Dark Order number, which was initially the Dark Order gimmick, was giving numbers to the wrestlers because maybe another company perceived them that way. Or knowing, hey, your checks are going to come in on time. How about that? You know, things like that, that that go on. And the fact that this is a company that cares about you, I I think that's the thing about it. And and it's amazing. Tony Khan, and someone else has said this, but he has been put on this earth to do professional wrestling. This is like his destiny. It is to do this job. I mean, it sounds like he was booking shows his whole lot, you know, just right now. And I used to do that. We'd have wrestling figures and we'd write down shows and act out the matches. And yeah, everything you hear about him is like, I consider myself a pro wrestling nerd and I'm sure he's a million times beyond me. So, well, and that's part of the reason, like, you know, people say, Oh, why do you work with impact? Like, like, you know, just crap all over impact or why do you work with another company? Well, guess what? It provides sort of dream matches or unusual matches. It allows us to do something a little bit different with our product. It creates a great talent exchange as well. I mean, I don't know, you know, who can say that we haven't benefited from having the good brothers, on our show, oh, or Don yeah. Callis, yeah. who has been absolutely oh, brilliant. We love him. Over. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, so we're talking, you know, so, and, and who knows where it goes in the future? You know, maybe some of our talent, as our roster continues to expand, heading over there for a little bit, and then maybe coming back and some interpromotional things. And, you know, the forbidden door that, that Tony likes to refer to himself as somewhat yep. tongue-in-cheek, but it's true. And, and hopefully, you know, I, I see that Stone Pitbull shirt. Maybe someday we'll be doing some good business with New Japan and the country. Yeah. You already see people come over. So it's been fun. And also, too, some of our talent do have agreements that they're able to continue to work independent wrestling shows. Yeah. And, you know, th- that's great for their livelihood. And, and, you know, generally, if as long as it's a safe environment, you know, Tony grants permission to do that for those that have that in their contract. So that's been a strength as well. Keep the indie strong because yep. that next wave of talent may be coming from that independent level. And that's what a lot of folks kind of thought when AEW came about and NXT signing up all these people. It's like, are the indies dead? No, I think it's just a new crop of talent. And I think one thing AEW did so well during the pandemic was allow these folks to perform and then also get up on the roster. People like Hobbs, you know, Pillman and Garrison, Red Velvet, Big Shotty, Lee Johnson, and just so many others that are just getting an opportunity to wrestle and make money when elsewhere they can't so I thought that was just amazing as well and that's kind of leading to dark and elevation and rampage and opening up all these spots think about this Eddie Kingston was unemployed Eddie Kingston literally sold his boots to help pay for his mortgage on his house Eddie Kingston could have been signed by any company in the entire world and yet here he is getting that one shot at AEW and Tony Khan recognized we have something special here And he would go on to win, you know, the Wrestling Observer Best Interview of the Year Award in 2020. He's headlining pay-per-view shows. I mean, this is an incredible rags-to-riches story, and it probably doesn't come about 
without the pandemic. Do we hire Ricky Starks without the pandemic? Yep. I can't two, say that we do. Two of our favorites right mm-hmm. there as well. Right. And, yeah, it's it, just it's amazing. It's and unbelievable. We, took, we tried to turn the pandemic as horrible as it was to our advantage by expanding while other companies contracted, while they laid off people while making record profits, <clears> or just simply weren't able to run shows. We brought people in. And now you look at our roster and it is so deep that in case somebody does miss time for whatever reason, then we have someone who could potentially be elevated to take their spot. I, I mean, that was a result of, of the pandemic. And people, too, look at Alan Angels getting the chance to shine the way that he did, you know, in Norcross at the tapings that we had. Yep. When we didn't know whether we were going to survive as a company, quite honestly. We're just mm-hmm. taping matches as many as we could. They yeah. told us, you know, basically 24 hours before Thursday night. They told us Wednesday night. You got 24 hours to do to get out of here because we passed new laws in the state of Georgia and you have to shut down. So what was meant to be a couple of days taping, Tony Khan got a paper. He drew it like tic-tac-toe, drew names across it and booked about eight weeks of television in no time. And that gave some other wrestlers a chance to really show that they're that they're talented. And kudos to Kenny Omega as well for giving Alan Angels a chance to shine. Now, Alan is a valuable part of our roster as part of Dark Order. And and it's, it's been an amazing thing to see. Absolutely. Well, hey, let's transition to more of the role you're doing now and the backstage stuff and kind of your character. And uh, I'll let Bo take the lead on this because I know he's got a couple questions. We always love these segments. So um, whenever um, I found out, whenever we found out this was happening, that we were going to talk to you, Alex, this was literally the first question that popped in my head. So um, I know you were super kicked by the Young Bucks. Yes. All right. Is that the only time you have been attacked, I guess, in kayfabe by a wrestler? Yeah, that is the only time I have been assaulted, and the Young Bucks were fined $5,000 by AEW management, which also showed me how much value I have to the company, seeing that Miro was fined (laughs) a much greater amount later on in the year uh, when he threw someone off the stage and and injured their wrist and, and, you know, basically ruined their Christmas. So, yes, that would be the only time. But, uh, you know, in case of physicality, I'll tell you one thing that that I've never shared before. There was a situation a couple weeks ago uh, where MJF and Chris Jericho brawled. And I was interviewing Chris and MJF tackled Jericho and I went flying. And if, if, if it weren't for me being able to hold on to a guardrail, I would have been ass over tea kettle on the wow. ground. So yeah, yeah it, it is something that, you know, you got to be quick on your feet because you literally never know what can happen. If something goes awry with some sort of interview, you got to be alert to it. But yes, getting super kicked by the bucks, not, not a lot of fun. No. Yeah, and I could like I've always kind of wondered, you know, sort of because it looks so like fast and pinpoint, like kind of what it's like, you know, just sort of, you know, how you react to it and kind of how, you know, you see it coming towards you really fast. But, you know, maybe you don't feel it as much. Um, you know, I've always been partial to the power bomb. If I, you know, want to um, get a wrestling move done on me it is the power bomb. You got to just tuck that head up. That's, yeah. that's all I got to tell you. You know, tuck your head up. I, it saved me from a concussion. When I was at Wani Fest. I had about 12 beers in and I was trying to sit on a hammock and. I, I went ass over tea kettle myself, but I remember just before I hit the ground, pick your head up when you bump. And that was it. And boom, I was okay. I just, you know, a little embarrassed, but I, I can deal with that every day of my life. And um, so another thing we've become a big fan of on our show is your character that you've kind of cultivated um, your backstage interview sort of persona um, over the course of, you know, the episodes we've watched in your time in AEW. And uh, I was just curious, so how much um, influence, um, and you know input have you had on developing that character i i don't consider it a character to be quite honest with you because i take every interview dead seriously i Mm -hmm. want to be as deadpan 
as possible okay. in everything that I do, simply because number one, Tony Khan brought me on board because of my sports background. I worked at Fox Sports. I've interviewed, you name it, I've had pr pretty much, right? And the way I look at it is I want the talent to shine. I, I'm not selling tickets. That, that isn't me. I want to enhance those around. I want to ask my question and let them have their say. If that means getting insulted, guess what? That's the media world. That's how it is. A lot of times you're going to have friction with players. They're going to say something nasty. They're going to perceive you, you know, as a toady or whatever. That's fine. I'm okay with that. You have to have thick skin in the media. So I, I can't even say that it's something that I've, I've studied anyone to try to do. I've just tried to bring a legitimacy to what it is that I ask and try to ask what I think a question that a fan would ask, you know, try to get the answer out of the mm -hmm. talent that I, I want to know what direction they're thinking and see where their character heads. So no, I, I honestly can't say that it's anything fabricated. I haven't been told to be who I am. It's just who I am trying to add a legitimate sports background to it. But I think that that also separates me from other people that work mm -hmm. in this industry, because I don't know if everyone takes the same approach as I do. And I'm happy that they don't. I know people don't have the same background that I do. They're not doing the same things professionally that I am in terms of the NFL and the things I've accomplished. And I'm not bragging, but it's just the way that it is. So that's where my interview style comes from. Mm -hmm. Basically just trying to get out the most succinct question possible, but also making it a question that if you're just tuning in for the first time, I'm going to spell out a little bit of the background for you as well about why I'm asking this particular question. If there's a match coming up, if there was a situation that happened, I'll try to do that. Be in, be out, be done. Let the talent do their thing because they're the most important part of our product. Love it. Well, we've really oh, yeah. enjoyed all the stuff you were doing with Kenny and mm -hmm. Callis at the school, on the golf course. Most recently, we loved when they were showing the conspiracy video and you were back there and Callis grabbed your hand and was kind of dancing with you. Like, we were just dying laughing. So and what's Kurosawa, it like? Michael Kurosawa putting together the conspiracy video that yeah. you know, mm -hmm. none of us believe. And it isn't easy tracking Kenny down. Trust yeah. me, this is not this is not easy. I have to really <laughs> use my sources yeah. to find out where Kenny Omega is going to be at to try to ambush him, ambush Don Callis. But, you know, again, and, and you think about guys who, who it's been so interesting watching the evolution of Kenny Omega as well. Mm -hmm. and, and as I mentioned, the addition of Don Callis been a lot of fun uh, to see that in some ways, but not so much fun in others because he has wreaked havoc in our company. <laughs> so real quick, and then we'll kind of get to uh, the book, but two things first, what's it like working with Callis? So first off, we call him Dan Callis. And that is because when we were editing, it was our episode when Kenny actually beat Moxley. Um, coming, yeah. we're editing it and listening and Bo is like oh well Moxley he hit Dan Callis didn't he you know accidentally saying Dan and now he's become Dan Callis and we've started a segment on our show called hit watch or so back then where we're watching is when's Moxley gonna hit Dan Callis and now it Orange Cassidy is now a part of hit watch since Dan just screwed him as well but yeah, he's just been amazing. And what's it like working with him? Well, you know, I have a history a little bit with Don, and I'll just say what it is. And it was back in the in the late 1990s. I interviewed him for my pro wrestling column. Okay. And uh, to be honest with you, I thought he was a leech back then. Uh, you know, he was trying to hit me up for a free Miami Dolphins jersey. You know, this was around 2000, 1999, 2000. And, you know, tell me what a big fan he is of sports collectibles. And, you know, and that was it. So not a lot has changed uh, in 20 years as far as uh, as far as Dan Callis goes, to be, uh, to be quite honest with you. But I, I can tell you, again, this is someone else, too, much like Eddie Kingston, who was flying under the radar 
of pro wrestling companies. Anyone could have signed Dan Callis 2015, 2016. He goes back to New Japan. He's calling matches, but he was some, one of these guys who really sort of got forgotten. He went to go work for the government up in Canada. Yeah. You know, living in Winnipeg. Who, who does that? I kid, I kid. But you get my point. <laughs> And now he comes and reinvents himself on the scene as the invisible hand. I mean, more power to Dan, but I mean, no, he's, he's pretty insufferable. Yeah. <laughs> love it. Love it all. Yeah. So let's talk about the book, The Complete List of Jericho, coming out June 22nd. I know I sent this to you way back when. I got it pre-ordered for Christmas, and my mom drew this nice little ditty on nice. the cover. And she was very happy to hear we were interviewing someone who's working on it. Um, so first off, we had a question from a fan at A16 version asked, what was it like being asked by Jericho to help with this book? And has anyone else in AEW asked for your help with stats? So this one is interesting about Jericho because it, I showed him uh, something from the Internet that actually was wrong. And I know this is coming as a shock to everybody, but there's in, there's sometimes misinformation on the Internet. I, I, this was this was pointed out to me and, and I've learned the hard way since, but I was preparing the match notes and I pointed out it was it was against, you know, Jungle Boy against Chris Jericho. This was December 18th, 1990 or 2019 in Corpus Christi. And, and I showed Chris the notes. I said, Chris, is this accurate that, you know, on this day back then, uh, you know, this was the day Jungle Boy was born and you were wrestling like your 758th match or something. And he said, no. And I said, what? And he goes, I have kept detailed match notes of every single match that I have. And I am convinced that the internet does not have all of these matches that I have wrestled. Interesting. And, and I'm like, and he's like, I want to show you this notebook I have. And I'm like, okay. So a couple months later, and, and it had sat for a little bit, but you know, he comes to, or, you know, comes to Jacksonville, I believe. And he hands me this white binder that literally has handwritten notes from when he first started. And I'm just, and I say, all right, Chris, you know, look, I'll input this information for you like an idiot because I have no time in my life to do this, but I'm like, you know what, let me, let me start. And all of a sudden one thing leads to another and I'm realizing, wait a second, this, this is pretty darn interesting. Maybe, and Chris had posited the possibility, maybe we can get a book out of this, but I'm thinking more like a, a athletic media guy, sure. like just something simple of a thin, you know, 10 pages and small print of, here, Chris Jericho wrestled this match on this day, right? But then, you know, I started brainstorming some ideas with Chris and, and Pete Natale came on board and, and he had been one of the editors of Chris's previous books. And we got to thinking about, okay, maybe we could add lists of things like top 10 Jericho matches, top 10 duds, top 10 tag team partners, top 10 countries that he's wrestled in, and then break down his career based upon where he was wrestling at the time. Mm -hmm. And of course, there were a ton of matches that weren't documented. You know, especially the, the Lucha stuff that he worked in Mexico, the things that he did in Japan. So we kept adding to it. Then I thought, hey, you know what? How about some guest editorials? Why don't we have Dave Meltzer rank his favorite Jericho moments? Nice. Why don't we have Taz break down the top Jericho moves? Why don't we get an in their words? And, you know, when someone wrestled Chris Jericho, I would ask them, okay, uh, you know, for example, we'll, we'll see some stuff in there from Jake Hager. What's your most memorable match with, with Chris Jericho? And he shares the story. John mm -hmm. Moxley shares a story. So 400 pages later, here we are. <laughs> My wife helped out. We got an infographic listing Chris's one loss percentage record of all time, how many countries that he's wrestled in, how many titles that he's held, how many WrestleManias he's been in. You name it, it's all in there. It is the complete list of Jericho. And Chris really got into the project. So he started contributing 
in a big time way as well. We, we gathered up photos from throughout his career. Of course, AEW was gracious enough to give us permission to use the things that they were able to assemble. We have a guy named Jeff Jones who handles our social media, who's unbelievable. Jeff helped out with the project. And so it ends up, you know, Chris shared some of his personal photos as well. And we have the complete list of Jericho. Jericho30.com is where you order it. It's going to be officially, uh, publishing date is June 23rd when it comes out and, and hits the, you know, the public. Uh, I was off, off by a day. June 23rd. Yeah, it's, it's amazing, you know. Well, I mean, who, who knows? It could be June 22nd for all we know. And, you yeah. know, the pandemic obviously affected publishing. We, you know, we had this book in the can basically around December, the final, final version of it. And it took a lot longer than I anticipated. I spent all last summer doing it, working on it, but I'm proud of it. And, and Chris says it's a one-of-a-kind book, and I believe it. I mean, I, I think there are wrestlers, like I think George South has maybe a complete list of every match he's wrestled in. Uh, and this is not to disparage George's work, but this is different because of all the ancillary things that go with what Chris Jericho has done. 2,722 matches, ultimately. There's that entire list broken up by all sorts of interesting anecdotes and stories things you'll learn about the wrestling business. And it gave me incredible insight as to Chris Jericho, what an incredible person that he is, reinventing himself time and time again. I mean, he is brilliant. I mean, to, to think, you know, the fact that, that he continues to, you know, create ways to headline shows, to be such a vital part of our company and all the great things that he does behind the scenes. I mean, it was an honor to, to work on it with him, but it was a, a big time labor. You know, uh, as far as statistics and things like that go with the announcing team, I provide them. I just started doing it. You know, nice. we try to help, you know, Jim Ross and, and Excalibur does his own work, but help Tony Schiavone, help Paul White, help Mark Henry, all those guys, you know, and the Spanish announced team as well. Just, you know, because these are things Tony cares about, the sports stats. The guy's yep. won seven out of his past eight matches. Uh, this woman wrestler has held the title two times. Whatever it is, that background, that's what I, and it keeps me engaged in the product because mm -hmm. I feel like I have a sort of ownership in AEW as well, not a stake, but I've been there since before day one and I love this company and I want it to thrive and I want it to thrive in the way Tony wants it to thrive. Thus, that's one of the reasons that I, I do the stats. It's never, it's not, I don't even have like a contract with a title that lists the things that I do. I, I just try to produce them as something that the announcers can have. They do the hard work, but if they ever need to reference something or they want to get a point across statistically, it's waiting there for them on a sheet that I provide for every show. I love it. And I can't wait to read it. And with his late career work and reinventing himself, Jericho has become my favorite of all time. We share a birthday. I'm a big list guy. Mm -hmm. uh, so I can't wait. And Bo himself actually experienced uh, publishing being affected by COVID. And I know he's got some questions about you just yeah. from a journalistic standpoint. Oh, yeah, for sure. So I come from a creative writing background. I've published a short story. Um, I'm working on publishing my novel, which is my graduate thesis currently. So, uh, so I know how, you know, long it kind of takes, you know, for, you know, the writing and the editing. Um, I'm, you know, would love to get a copy of your book, especially with Brett's mom's cover, if that's possible. <laughs> but, um, but, but yeah. Um, so in terms of the writing of the book, um, how involved was Chris Jericho when, when it came to, you know, like just generating just sort of the prose, the text? Well, I mean, he wrote his part. He didn't right. dictate it to me. I mean, right. he, everything he wrote, I mean, and, and, you know, uh, Pete Fornitale, as I mentioned, part of the editing process, we just, just cleaned it up. We made all the Canadian words into American words, you know, took out the extra you sometimes, okay. things like that. But I mean, you know, Chris was extremely hands-on. Anything mm -hmm. that Chris Jericho does, he's involved with. Mm -hmm. If his name's going to be with it, he's going to be involved in it. Mm -hmm. So, and he also, I would send him copy and he would make suggestions about how he wanted something to read if he didn't like it. It's his right. book. Okay. okay. I, I'm working with him. 
So, you know, that's how it worked. But no, he was he was extremely hands on like he is about everything. He wrote the other ones, too. I mean, all, and they're great books. I mean, they're just fun books. You don't have to be a huge wrestling fan even to like him. But you just you find someone here who has been able to turn. And this is like something just a big life thing. He's been able to turn his passions into money mm-hmm. and live his dream. I mean, he wanted to be in a rock and roll band. He formed a band called Scimitar back in, you know, his high school days. And now he's with Fozzie and he's touring. You know, he's written books. He's made a ton of money. I mean, he's done, I mean, everything that he's wanted to do. He has his podcast. So he's able to, you know, some of the things that he's interested in there, he pursues there. I mean, that's a remarkable thing. I mean, and he's an incredible role model to follow in that regard. Love it. Well, I know we're, we're getting a little close here. So I want to get a few more things in and then we'll get to our little lightning round at the end. But um, so we'll shift into some NFL stuff here. And I've got two two questions for you. One before that, actually, I should have asked earlier from Podfather Mags. He said, what's the closest you've ever come to corpsing while interviewing a wrestler? Uh, that would in corpsing. I had to look up because I did see that on my Twitter timeline that apparently is breaking into laughter. Yes, while doing uh, this, and uh, Bo wasn't sure. Bo wasn't sure either. I'm like, yeah, I think it's just like cracking up. Yes, and I would have to say uh, anything with the Dark Order yeah. is is generally very very tough, especially anything with John Silver as well. Oh um, yeah, that that gets to be very tough. Uh, believe it or not, I believe I have a perfect streak so far of not bursting into laughter when something happens. But our interviews are not scripted either. I mean, yeah. I need to point this out. You know, maybe some other companies they'll tell you exactly word for word what you want to say, or they're reading it off of a you know a, 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 you know whatever the screen prompter. Uh, not the case with us, a telestrator, if you will. That's not us. So it really comes from the talent themselves. And, you know, that's why. But I mean, gosh, I'm one of the Dark Order ones with with John Silver. And, you know, he's working on his shoulder and it's injured. And I'm just like, good Lord. Well, there was one you did with them that Bo termed you receding Marvez. You were in the room with them and just kind of backed away. I think Hangman may have been in that one. We actually used that as our episode logo. Yes. because your face as you kind of just faded into the background yes we just love it again emphasize the talent not yep. me emphasize love the it talent. and then so this question is from diesel one of our good friends who runs the visionaries global media network we're on at diesel vftr so this is about nfl and we'll get into that do you have to take different approaches when talking to nfl players compared to wrestlers when interviewing and if so what are the differences not really. I mean, I, I don't think so. I mean, I think you ask the questions that people want to hear, you know, and now, of course, my wrestling interviews, you know, that I do on AEW are not they're not lengthy. They're one question, maybe two. And that's it. Now, when I work on Sirius XM, uh, depending upon who the guest is, depending upon whether I'm doing the interview myself, I might have five or six questions. Uh, maybe I'll have as many as 10. But I need to figure out there's a sequencing to, to the art of interviewing. You want the person you're interviewing to feel comfortable. You want them to know that you know a little bit of something about them and their background and you can and maybe relate to them a little better. If they have a charitable endeavor that they're involved in, something near and dear to their heart, you don't start pounding them with, with questions right off the bat. That's not going to get the best results at all. You know, and I'm not saying I'm trying to lure anyone in, but you, you, I found that, you know, as my old journalism professor in high school, the, the late, great Mr. Gerald Stone had pointed out, at least I think he's passed away. I hope he hasn't. But my point is that, you know, you get more uh, with honey than vinegar. Right. And, and that's that's true. So I think that's the art of interviewing is to, you know, lay a foundation. Then if there's something you want to ask, there's also a certain way to ask it in a way that you can get a response. Never ask yes or no questions. Never, always ask questions that that you know, almost force the person you're interviewing to elaborate. So this way you can avoid short answers and always listen. 
That's a key too. A lot of times we don't listen, you know, if, especially when you're younger, you have a list of, of questions and you might be intimidated by the person you're interviewing or, you know, nervous or whatever, or you're just, you're, maybe your mind's racing and you're just thinking, okay, how do I ask the next question? Listen, because sometimes the best questions are the follow-up questions based upon what the answer is. Absolutely. Uh, so wanted to get your take on the Bengals and Joe Burrow. And I think Bo was going to ask you something about the AFC North in general. But let's just start with the, you know, our hometown team, the Bengals, Joe Burrow, obviously injury cut short his season last year, but was looking amazing and, you know, exactly what this city and franchise needs. And I know it was just a small sample size, but everyone here is fired up. What are you thinking for the Bengals outlook in 2021 and beyond with Joe Burrow? I, I, I want to be optimistic. Yeah. Joe Burrow's, Joe Burrow's not, Joe but Burrow's it's hard. Not, yes. It, well, yeah. it's just, it's just because we're into the great unknown here as far as the offensive line and the yes. protection. And I look yes. at a team right now, that, you know, made some strides. And I know there's going to be different coaching under Frank Pollard, who's coming back to the team. And he's a very good and established offensive line coach. So maybe that'll help solve some of the problems. You know, you got Jonah Williams, you got, you know, Michael Jordan. These are younger players who I'm pretty sure have improved, you know, are going to, be, are going to improve from 2020 to 2021. Riley Reef comes on board at the right tackle position. I know he's now in his 30s, but should be solid enough there. I think, you know, the depth issues concern me a little bit. Uh, when it comes to this, if something were to happen at right tackle, I don't know how the Bengals or left tackle. Yeah. I don't know how the Bengals address that. I, I really don't. I, I don't. I think their depth right now is pretty horrible. That concerns me. Lou Anarumo has a lot to prove as a defensive coordinator. Quite yeah. honestly, this was just a terrible defense and, and by every standard in 2020. And I know that the offense wasn't helping out, you know, in terms <laughs> of being able to control the football, especially after Joe Burrow went down and with no Joe Mixon, they had no answer or running back. But are, are they going to be markedly better with Trey Hendrickson coming on board? Can the secondary, you know, with Trey Wayans back healthy, can that help them out? Can they get some good play at linebacker? It's been a while. They just, mm -hmm. they, they've been slow afoot at that spot. You know, so I just, those are the things that concern me about the Bengals a bit. And also let's not forget too, you know, this is beside, you know, I think the NFC West is probably the toughest division in football on paper. But when you look at the AFC North, Cleveland legit Super Bowl contender, Baltimore pretty darn close and Pittsburgh, They've never had a losing season under Mike Tomlin, and they have been Roethlisberger back. I know their offensive line, a lot of questions there, but I feel a lot more confident about Pittsburgh and their track record of success than I do with the Bengals under yeah. Zach Taylor. So that's what makes it a tough go. I don't, I mean, does six wins represent progress? Seven wins? Is that enough for Zach Taylor to keep his job? I mean, when Mike, Mike Brown gave him the, the dreaded vote of confidence at the end of last season after just his second year on the job, Yep. I'm like, whoa, does he really feel that he needs to do this? Yeah. So when I see something like that, it just makes me wonder. But knock on wood for Bengals fans. You, you deserve <laughs> good things. You really do. It's been yeah. since 1990 that you all won a playoff game. You deserve something nice. I hope you get it. <laughs> Bo, did you want to ask him about the, the – Yeah, I, I guess um, you did touch on this. And I guess, you know, I'm going to try to get a bit more definitive with it. So, you know um, – Along with Bengals, you know, we follow AFC North pretty heavily. Both Brett and I went to U of University of Louisville, so we both got to watch Lamar Jackson. You know, I know tons of, you know, people in the area who are Louisville fans who instantly became Ravens fans when Lamar went there. So, um, you know, we keep track of a lot of AFC North stuff. So I guess I'm asking you definitively for the 2021 season, can you rank the AFC North teams? 
Yeah, I'm putting Cleveland number one, Baltimore number two, Pittsburgh three, and the Bengals at four. I think Cleveland, you know, they they I think the torch was passed in that first round playoff game last year when they wrestled it from the hand of the Pittsburgh Steelers, going up 28 to nothing, rolling up to all the points they did. I mean, they, they're basically returning everybody. They're getting Odell Beckham Jr. back, which I think is a positive. Some people think otherwise, but I think it is. You know, you add Jadavion Clowney, who's able to provide pass rush. I know he's not you know, double-digit sack guy. In fact, he had one last year. But his quarterback pressure rate actually was the same, but it does take some of the heat off of Miles Garrett. We'll see how Clowney does. But I just think the, the most complete team, the question with Baltimore is this, is Lamar Jackson going to develop into a bona fide passer? Mm -hmm. I'm very good friends with Greg Roman, and I'm not saying this is from any information that Greg has given me, but, you know, they're going to take the kitty wheels off of this offense now. Lamar Jackson has to make plays in the passing game. Mm -hmm. You know, they've drafted so many receivers through the years. They're, they're, this is the best crop of receivers that Lamar Jackson has had to work with thus far. So I think, we, you know, that's something that's a positive. I do wonder about the edge rush for the Ravens because they lose Matthew Judon. They lose Yannick Ngakwe. A little unstable there, but a great secondary and a tradition of winning under John Harbaugh. For the Steelers, I, I think a new offense and getting back to the running game with Najee Harris will do the Steelers some good. I, I like their defense as well with, you know, obviously getting healthier there. Uh, losing Bud Dupree is a blow. Will Alex Hightower step up and, and fill his shoes opposite T.J. Watt? We're going to have to wait and see on that. I, I mean, but the question is how much better are the Steelers? Like, are they really a, a you know, 11 win, 11 and – I know these numbers are weird. 11 and 6 type of yeah. team, which yeah. is what I think it will take to win the division. Probably still could be a wild card, but that's – where I look at the Steelers and then come the Bengals. Yeah, we were just talking about the 17 game thing. It's going to be weird, but no going 500 anymore without a tie. Yeah, yeah. I know. Strange, strange yeah. when you mention it. By the way, week 18 games. Yeah, that. <laughs> yeah that, that's you know, bizarre. I mean, we're going to have January 9th regular season football. Roll, roll that around in your head a little bit there as to how it's going to go. And I think it's going to take all of us a while, our body clocks to sort of get used to the way that the NFL is going to be this year. Only three preseason games as well. I mean, it's just, it's becoming a different league. And, and of course, uh, you know, people have reported it and it's no secret in league circles laying the groundwork for what will probably be an 18 game schedule at some point with just two preseason games in years to come. Interesting stuff. So we're going to get one quick fun fan question, go into our lightning round and we'll get you out of here. So this is from our good friend, high five, Tom at high five, Tom, which actually he and diesel, along with one other guy, we're going to be going to the Milwaukee AEW Dynamite in August 25th. So if you're around, maybe we can see you. We can uh, meet at the Crusher statue and we can all celebrate the life of Reggie Laskowski. Yes. Heck yeah. So Tom asks, so I like to keep it funny, but I was wondering what announcer Mr. Marvez was one to have a rap battle with. Oh my goodness. Uh, I'd get my butt kicked by just about anybody. That is a great, a rap battle. <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to think of anyone. I mean, I'm no Max Caster, nor could I, I potentially ever be. <laughs> I'm trying to even think of an announcer that has rap chops that that even, you know, horses. I, I could tell you this. The best pitch man is Alex Eberhantes. I bought 15 computers from QVC because of the guy. He's two of them. You know, he was so good when he was coming out with Penta and all. I mean, that was outstanding. Yeah, may, maybe Eberhantes would, would be the guy I, I would okay. try to go toe for toe with. Yeah. What about Ian Eagle? I feel like he could probably cut a few out. Ian could probably go. You know who'd probably be great? Kevin Harlan. Yeah, those are oh. two of my favorite announcers yeah. right there. Yes, yes. Absolutely. Kevin Harlan is how I Yes, that's how good he is. Uh, 
is and no offense to the Eskimo population. I did not mean anything. <laughs> well, we are wrapping up here. I'm going to kick it to Bo for this final little lightning round segment where he's just going to ask you some very random off the wall questions, almost like a family feud style and just give him uh, give him whatever comes to your mind. So Bo, take it away. Uh, what is your favorite Star Trek episode? Favorite Star Trek episode? Probably the one, uh, the original Star Trek, where Kirk had to fight the guy in the lizard costume. Mm-hmm. That, that was pretty. That was pretty intense. That cool. was that was a big deal as a kid because he had to, you know, he had like I believe he made like a makeshift cannon, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken, mm-hmm. with red powder and all this. And yeah. and for, you know, six, seven year old Alex and Star Trek was a big deal at the time. I did this, and, and by the way, I love the John Luke Picard stuff. I thought that was an incredible series as well. The movies I watched, like back when I used to watch movies, you know, Star Trek one, two, three. I mean, wild stuff to see it on the big screen. But no, definitely the one with the lizard guy. I would think are, is pretty is is up there on my list. Yeah, that's right. My number one is Empire Strikes Back. Um, so uh, after uh, so after the young buck super kicked you, did you realize that maybe getting normally kicked might not be so bad? Uh, no, normally kicked is much better than, than two feet to the face. No, no question about that. Yes, that that. That is no fun. Taking that fall was no fun. And also, by the way, I'm lucky I held on to the $2,000 microphone that AEW has as well. Because had I broken that, maybe I would have gotten billed for it, for all I know. Yes, regular (laughs) kick, better than super kick. Very good. Um, Who is the most upset person you have ever, ever seen in AEW? Ever. Most upset. I think we were all upset when the ring didn't explode over (laughs) at at, at Revolution. I, I think that was... That was devastating. We were we were disappointed. We were crushed. You know, it, it put so many people in our company, you know, live in a bad spot and even afterwards. And I, I just think it was terrible for Kenny Omega and, and Dan Callis to to, you know, basically, you know, sabotage the explosions as it, as it later came out. But that's where I think we were just just was the, the frustration truly was so much because it was such a great show. And you just realized that, yeah. You know that that this was going to be a stain on, on AEW, but you know what? Too, it's wrestling. I had a talk with Eric Bischoff about this, the, you know, a couple of weeks ago, in fact, and he said that he doesn't like taped wrestling. It's live wrestling, and people understand because it's live. Things may happen sometimes that you're not expecting, such as a non-exploding ring. So yes, I would say from top to bottom, everyone in AEW furious that the ring did not explode. Damn you, Kenny. Damn you, Dan. <laughs> Right. Ethan Page officially dethroned for most upset in AEW. <laughs> all right. He is all ego. There's no question yeah. about it. He loves the catering at AEW. I asked him about that. <laughs> it's a backstage conversation that we have. Yes. Right. That's all. We've been loving him. Yes, we do. All right. Which is the better acronym, AEW or NFL? And why is it TNT? Uh, TNT was interesting. I think back in the day, they had like a lot of explosions when they launched it. Because remember, it was a sub, it was almost a sister station to TBS, mm-hmm. as you remember. Uh, you know, I think it was interesting because AEW, there were different incarnations. You know, Tony Khan, very nice TNT championship title belt. And please return that to Miro, uh, Brett, if you don't mind, whenever you're done with it. Um, but I think that, you know, AEW, there were, there were different names that, that Tony was coming through, this and that. And but you want something it's weird because this all started with ECW, right? Something that you can chant. So yeah. AE dub became something that yeah. you can chant. You don't chant NFL and no, 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 no. You know, AE dub, I think that has the for what we want, that is the perfect acronym for us. Wouldn't it be funny if at the draft people would chant NFL instead of boo Roger Goodell? <laughs> that would be different. Did not intend on that rhyming either. All right. <laughs> 
Have you ever seen the movie Demolition Man? No. Out of these four restaurants, who would win your franchise wars? And every restaurant would become one of these. Cinnabon, McAllister's Deli, Auntie Anne's, and Moe's Southwest Grill. Well, I think it's pretty easy since I got a follow from McAllister's on Twitter. You know, uh, today, that it's going to be McAllister's. There's no question about it. Had their club sandwich when I was in Cincinnati. Outstanding establishment. No doubt about it. I can be bought by a Twitter follow. So, yes, at Alex Marvez. So, definitely, they win the food wars. And we, and we had nothing to do with that, do we, Brett? No, nothing at all. No, nothing at all. All right. Um, do you like, well, I hope you like analogies. Um, I have seasonal analogies. Uh, so, um, all right. Uh, if Kenny Omega was George W. Bush and John Moxley was Tony Blair and Dan Callis was Vladimir Putin and Britt Baker was Hillary Clinton and Jim Ross was George H.W. Bush, then who are you? Oh, oh, my gosh. Is there some lowly press secretary? I mean, that that's probably where I would be at or maybe even a George, maybe a George Stephanopoulos, a little taller, a little heavier. You know, decent hair. But I mean, I, I would have to say somewhere, yeah, somewhere in that. Definitely much, much lower tier than, than those big ways. But the correct answer is actually the Dalai Lama. That's my ah, very nice. Very right. So um, I have um, a list from my outsider sources in AEW um, for your nickname. So I'm going to read these off. And uh, you tell me which one of these is your nickname. We have Receding Marvez. Dynamite's on Wednesday, Marvez. Dan Callis' dance partner at ballroom dancing classes. You decided to take because your old hobbies just don't cut it anymore, Marvez. <laughs> Alex Baldwin, Marvez. Ooh. Marvez Cinematic Universe. Metroid and Other M, Marvez. Marvezilus. Marvezinator. Marvez Lewis and Marv. <laughs> Marvezilus is pretty good. I've gotten by with a marvelous one on radio before, which obviously may not necessarily be accurate, but I'll take it for what it's worth. But that, that one's not bad, although receding is, is pretty good. Just, just slowly, slowly fading away like Homer Simpson into the bushes. Yes. Yeah. Or like phases of the moon. I really liked Marvez Lewis. I did too. <laughs> I kind of miss him, you know. Yeah. A little bit. Um, wonderful, wonderful human being. Good old yes. Mark. Yep. All right. Uh, will Moxley hit Dan Callis? Ultimately, yes. And by the way, John Moxley, a new father. Uh, oh, did, oh, yeah, we did, I did see that. To a baby daughter uh, um, on uh, Monday, uh, June 14th. So congratulations to, uh, to the Moxley family for that. I would have to think Moxley going to come back and get revenge, currently sidelined by the double BTE triggers given to him, uh, of course, uh, on our last pay-per-view show, Double or Nothing by the Young Bucks. And, you know, I, I'll be honest with you. And I try to, I, and not that I would ever know the match results anyway, but I try not to know what happens on our show. I really do. I try to, and you'd be surprised. I'm so busy backstage. Sometimes I go home and I don't really know what happened mm -hmm. on the show. I go back and I watch the show because, you know, and I used to wonder, well, how does a wrestling company, how does a wrestler not know this is going on? Or how does, how does ownership not know? Because there's 24 hours in a day and because you <laughs> don't have that much time. So that's interesting. So I, I just, I find that, you know, I was stunned. When John Moxley went down, legitimately stunned and pinned by the Young Bucks in that tag match with Eddie Kingston. So got to think, though, at some point, Mox will get healthy, move on for paternity leave and, and come back and hopefully extract revenge on Dan. Excellent. We would we would love that. And we've been waiting for it since December 2nd, I guess, was the date, maybe. Yes. Yeah. Our, our little corner of the Internet will explode. 
Um, so which that nat really naturally leads into my next question. Um, how many hours are really in a day? Uh, I have tried to expand it to 28. I, I have. This, this has been something that's one of my lifelong endeavors. It's to try to make the days longer so I can fit everything in. Unfortunately, we're stuck with 24 hours. The key is how well do you use them? You should look at every minute of your day and put a money figure on it. Quite mm -hmm. honestly, figure out what is it that you can be doing. And you, I'm not saying you don't take recreation time. I, I'm all for that. But how much recreation time are you going to take? Are you striving to get better every day of your life? Where are you going? You know, and that's why I work two full-time jobs. I mean, to be honest with you, because I would feel like I'm not doing the most that I can to try to advance myself, advance things for my family if I didn't do just that. So I think that's, that's how I look at it for hours. I mean, but look, the, the key too, though, how some people sleep. I, I need to sleep. I, I take naps every day. I have a very strange sleep schedule because of my work schedule doing Sirius XM NFL radio at night. And it's weird, but I try to divide my life into two days. Basically, wow. 530 a.m. like I got up this morning until we go. We a bit of do here, as Kenny Omega would say, and I go to sleep, wake up, begin part of day two, get ready for my NFL radio show, go back to sleep, do it again the next day. Very good. All right. So um, my next question is a NFL pick em. The Phoenix Suns or the Alabama Crimson Tide? Tide. I, I just think the Tide, although the Suns are, are hot again. And Dan Marley's yeah. still playing for them, yes? Uh, I yes, think, he is. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Thunder yeah. Dan. Kevin yeah, Johnson sure. running the point. Yeah. yeah and Andy Reid is mean, a great coach. Yeah. I mean, no, no question. You know, Don McLeod, I think, is still handling this team. And, uh, you know, we move on from there. But, man, Alabama, that absolutely ridiculous football. Pro. I mean, just ridiculous. Nick Saban has built, I mean, the quintessential factory, and everyone's just following in his footsteps. And, you know, like you think about, like, Pittsburgh Steelers running backs. You mentioned Najee Harris. They've, they've just given us Bengals fans nightmares for years, and I just expect nothing less out of Najee Harris just to carve us up, you know. Yeah, I know. And it's interesting, though, too, and this just real quick aside here about fans' expectations in the draft. What if the Steelers wouldn't have drafted Najee Harris? What if the Steelers had something turned them off in an interview? Or they just felt, man, he's not, he's not that great, you know? Mm. So what would have happened? Like, people would have revolted, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, we'll see if the Steelers are proven right or wrong, but it's just so interesting public opinion of the draft when it comes to players and, and projections. And if your favorite team doesn't take a player, much like with the Bengals with Panay Sewell and how they're taking a beating, let's let this play out two, three years. And if Jamar Chase is as good as he looked in 2019 in the NFL, then no one's going to be complaining about them not drafting an offensive lineman. But we put so much stock into kids that, quite honestly, people, you don't have the information. You don't know. You don't know the medical. You don't know the psychological examinations. You don't know how he fits into your team system. All of these things that go forward. I just, I find the draft, it's so amusing. And I eventually get into it. But every year when I see all the hype around it, I just, my eyes start rolling in the back of my head like a slot machine. Well, since we're keeping you up. Bo, do you want to kind of round out? I know you had your two most important questions. Two most important questions here. is determined by our fans and just everyone in the world, quite frankly. Um, what do you wonder when you lie awake at night? Um, how much work I can get done, mm -hmm. basically, is what I wonder. What is it I'm going to be doing the next day? How can I prioritize my time to get it done to move on to the next project? That is basically how I, what keeps me awake at night. All right. And then the question that has been looming over this podcast since episode two, three, one, Somewhere. zero, even probably zero. We yeah. have an episode zero, actually. Pretty crazy. How long have you worn glasses? Uh, about five, six, five years now, maybe five. And my vision is, is just going to hell in a handbasket. 
So it's funny that one time I had him off and Jake Hager didn't recognize me. So wow. for what, for what, it, for what it is worth. Yes. But they are now needed uh, in my life. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, but we all get old and it's just sort of the way life goes. Beautiful. Wonderful. Exactly yeah. the answer I'm looking for. Well, thank you for uh, participating in. Yeah. And uh, I told Bo, I'm like, I don't think you had glasses when we met, which would have been like 13 or 14. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah. but it's fun. Like we, we have always like laser focused into your segments and have noticed even on certain episodes, you'll be wearing glasses for one interview and then not for the other. So be you like, it's why? glasses list Marvez now. <laughs> Do I want you know to know why? So I put on makeup <laughs> and then I forget. Oh. And then I'm already on the site, you know, like I'm already on set and I'm not going to make the wrestlers wait. So I'll just do it without. But yeah. if I ever am not wearing them, it is completely because I left them uh, over probably in the uh, in our announcing room after getting powdered up. That's great. Because, yeah, we have noticed in the scope of an episode on and we'll be like, all right, it's back to glasses, Marvez now. But you notice, but you notice, though, always the same tie for every show. So I don't get caught up in that. Like I always try to make sure if we're taping something in advance that I have the same shirt tie combination because, mm. you know, glass is one thing. Okay. <laughs> but shirt tie, that, that's definitely, you don't want to, you want to make sure that you're not getting too sloppy with that. Well, mm. Alex, this has been amazing. Thank you so much. Um, as I yeah, said, like we wanted you to be our first mm. and you know, this was amazing. Um, any final thoughts or anything to plug that you want to get out? No, I mean, look, follow me on Twitter at Alex Marvez. If you have a question you want me to answer, I, I'll try my best uh, to get that done. Again, Jericho30.com, the book coming out June 23rd. I promise if you're a wrestling fan, I, I really mean this, you won't be disappointed. And, and, you know, if you're a Chris Jericho fan, it's really a must read. You can check me out if you're an NFL fan and you, you pay for your SiriusXM subscription. Knock on wood. Uh, you know, go to, you know, listen to me. I'm on late hits, usually hosting weeknights, uh, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern time on the weekends as well. In the off season, I'm on pretty much constantly during the NFL season. I guess those are those are the big things uh, that you know that that are going on in my life. Wonderful. Very well, uh, we'll certainly share this with you when it's released. Sure. It'll likely be Sunday, but it may be a little earlier than that. Um, but yeah, and hopefully we can see you up in Milwaukee on uh, August 25th. That yeah, that well. sounds absolutely great. I'm really looking forward to that. Milwaukee is going to be outstanding. A great mm -hmm. city. I haven't been there since I was covering the Miami Heat. In another wow. lifetime. I've and never been, I've never been. And it and turns I've, out these guys we met on another podcast all live there. And the Reds are in town the exact same time. So we're going to do Dynamite Wednesday night, Reds Brewers. It's a Thursday afternoon game. I've never been up there, so we can't wait. It's going to be you amazing. Know, and, and, Bo, we got to get Brett sliding down that whole beer slide that they had. Okay. They have back <laughs> with a brew crew type thing. Oh, yeah. Put him on that for sure. Get him the Maters. Let him try some authentic right. German food there in Milwaukee. It is a great town. The city that the Crusher made, great. And, of course, like I mentioned, there is that statue of the Crusher that is a must-see when you are in town. Well, we'll see like you there, and thank you so much, and thank we'll you. talk yeah, to you soon. Been great. See you soon, guys. Thank you. Take care, Alex. Take care. Well, he did wear glasses. He did wear glasses. That, you know, um, and 
He's only worn them for five years. I know. And also, I wanted to mention this to him, but he back, just backdoor introduced a new nickname for himself because he said that he, sometimes he forgets his glasses because he's in the makeup room mm. getting done up for TV and he just has to run out and he forgets them. Yes. So now there is Mascara Marvez. Ah, Mascara Marvez. Implicated very, by the, the man himself. Very good. But, but for real, couldn't have been kinder, couldn't have been, oh. you know, a, a better interview just in terms of talking about, Tremendous. you know, how his sort of function in AEW, which is huge. Yeah. Um, you know, NFL stuff, great stories. I just love how he was at that New Japan show with Tony Khan and like he introduced him to JR and just like the fact that Marvez was really kind of in on the ground floor before AEW started. Right. Like I could have talked to him about that for hours. You yeah, know? yeah. Yeah, and what about how he just started calling Callus Dan just on a whim? Oh, just in smoothly. He was like a jazz pianist. Yeah. <laughs> he was just like, you know, it entered his lexicon and um, I'm hoping it will be there forever. I'm hoping he calls him Dan Cal. I mean, you know, if he hates him, he can't him, you know. Yeah, maybe in real life, too. Yeah, yeah. So maybe <laughs> maybe Dan will pop, pop, pop back in there. But uh, Yeah, he called him a leech. <laughs> the thing about the Dolphins jersey really geeked us out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, funny stuff there. And then just great information about uh, the List of Jericho book uh, coming out. Can't wait to read that. And just, you know, really interesting hearing about the process of working with Chris and others as well. Yeah, no, I'm pretty excited for it too. I mean, you know, hell, we may have to do a book club with it. Hey. Who, re who reads in VGM or the IWC? Yeah, we just might have to do a book club. So, yeah, yeah, uh, let us know. Stay tuned for that. Let us know. It should be fun. We're excited. And uh, congrats to him and Jericho on, on getting their book out. That's yeah, awesome. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, just a lot of really good advice. Just an overall yeah. fun guy. Um, yeah. Um, you know, I hope we get to talk to him again soon. Yeah. What, what a great we'll way to start see it off. him in Milwaukee. And, yeah, just what a what a way to start it. And, uh, hey, we're going right back to the well next week. Yeah, yeah, we were going right back to the well. And uh, the light is green and, and citrus. And neon. And neon. Right. And, 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 uh, and yeah. And Danny. And Daniel. Limelight. Danny boy. Excited to see him. Well, um, I know he has a, um, or had in a match on AEW Dark mm. with uh, Mr. Very Upset. Very Upset. Ethan Page. And yeah. like, I guess we'll go into that next uh, next week, or I guess you'll hear in the interview. Well, it'll probably yeah. be long gone by then. Yeah. Who You're hearing it right now. Yeah, who yeah, cares? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so excited to be uh, talking to our first wrestler next week, Danny Limelight, who's really been... You know, he's unsigned, but really an up-and-comer, you know, in AEW and New Japan, strong, and, like, just a very bright future for this guy. We will wrestle with important topics, mm. pin down the best information, mm. and get his permission to s submit. Ding, 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 ding. Nah, you got yeah, me yeah, to yeah. submit. Yeah, no tapping out of this. Hopefully you submit. Until next time. Bye.